Welcome to the EMS Educator Podcast, powered by Prodigy EMS. Join us for relevant, high-quality discussions around the best practices in EMS education. You'll find interviews with experts in EMS, education, simulation, medical direction, leadership, and more. Hello, and welcome back to another edition of the EMS Educator Podcast. I'm Rob Lawrence. The National Registry Board of Directors voted to rescind Resolution 22-13, the Resolution on Extending Eligibility Requirements, during its special meeting on August the 17th, 2022, and will continue conversations with national partners and key stakeholders to progress towards more inclusive solutions. The decision came after an informative 60-day comment period, during which the National Registry received over a thousand different perspectives, questions and concerns. While we regret the magnitude of the disruption from the draft resolution, we are confident that the nation's EMS system has emerged with a collaborative and common purpose. We witnessed the passion behind the system's approach, a concept forged years ago to unite all parts of our profession. This resolution started conversations that many have signalled were needed. We're excited to continue that discussion and pursue solutions that best serve the needs of local to national EMS communities, while preserving the tenets of the EMS education agenda for the future, a systems approach. That conversation will continue with a national task force comprised of representatives from 10 national organisations. This task force will work collaboratively with transparency and the vested interest to our broader national EMS community to further the conversation and explore solutions for the challenges facing our EMS education system. That was the press release. This is an exceptionally timely EMS Educator podcast. We have the authors and the spokespersons from the National Registry. And to bring us and bring all of those people in together, Hilary Gates. Thanks, Rob. Well done. We have the great conversation to be had today, and that is with uh, the executive director of the NREMT, as well as the board chair of the NREMT. Bill and Kevin, thank you for being here. We also have Maya Dorsett, our medical director for Prodigy, wearing two hats, also a member of the National Registry Board. Bill, can you just introduce yourself for the audience, please? Sure. Thanks, Hillary. Uh, Bill Seiferth. I'm the uh, CEO and executive director for the National Registry of EMTs and uh, been here since 2018 and happy to uh, to be the executive director, uh, even in the midst of some of these uh, challenging conversations, if you will, uh, and challenging times, uh, I think that uh, it's a great place to work and certainly to serve the, the nation's EMS community as the, the nation's certification organization. Thank you for your leadership. Kevin? Hi, Hillary. Thank you so much, Hillary, Rob, and Maya. Uh, my name's Kevin Mackey. I'm the medical director here in Sacramento, but I'm the board chair of... Um, of the National Race for VMTs. I've been in that role for about six months, been on the board for a little bit more than eight years and uh, have enjoyed this role and I'm excited to have the conversation. And Maya. Oh, my name's Maya Dorset. I'm the medical director at Prodigy and I'm a brand new board member at the National Registry, uh, having the privilege of joining at a very exciting time. I think a lot of people might want to know what is it that the board does for the National Registry and maybe even vice versa. What does the registry do for the board? In other words, uh, Bill, can you walk us through how that relationship is handled and what are the roles of both entities? Sure. Uh, Excellent question. And uh, in short, 
uh, I'll start by saying what the Nash Registry is. You know, I alluded to it. We're a, the nation's EMS certification organization, but we're also a, a not-for-profit, a 501c3 organization. And as such, we have to be governed uh, by a board of directors. And um, going back to the EMS education agenda for the future, and even before then, uh, the, the National Registry was designed to be run and overseen by a, um, a multidisciplinary board of directors comprised of subject matter experts, certainly from the EMS field, from the education ed, educator field, from, uh, from the fire service, from public health, and the, all the disciplines that intersect with an EMS. And that is, uh, that is actually what our board of directors is. It's a 22 member uh, board that um, has all that expertise on it and has two primary roles. One is to determine the, the strategic direction of the organization uh, and provide oversight of the organization, in, in particular with the finances and as it relates to the strategy, the strategic vision and the plan uh, of where we're going. As it relates to, to me and the, the staff that work here at the National Registry, uh, we work uh, in tandem with the board. The board provides oversight of us, but it is a, in essence, a partnership where they provide the oversight, they provide the strategy and the resources, meaning the money to get done the, the mission and the vision that the, uh, that the board has decided for us. Um, so we do the execution, we get done the mission, we get done the strategy, the board determines the strategy and gives us the resources to get it done as a very simple overview of the relationship between um, the board of directors and me and the rest of the staff here at the National Registry of EMTs. Great. And so Kevin and Maya, talk, talk us through how this happened and what the impetus was for this proposal um, back in June and maybe some of the why behind the proposal. I'll start with you, Kevin. Sure. Um, so toward the end of 2021, the board became aware of escalation of conversations and many different levels, uh, most of them at states, some of them with uh, leadership uh, for, through other organizations that were being met with challenges. And some of those conversations were around accreditation and the challenges of accreditation. Um, I think a lot of folks who saw this resolution come through thought it was about workforce. Um, and, uh, and then there was also some organizations and some states who were challenged with the exam. Uh, they say sometimes our exam is too hard and we create a barrier for people to enter into the workforce. So those were where the conversations started toward the end of 2021. And then they became a little bit more focused as we came into the spring of this year uh, with um, several states that were having active legislation being considered to remove the requirement for national certification uh, from their states, and they were getting a lot of pressure put on them by um, well-meaning legislators uh, that, um, that were uh, thinking that this was the right path forward. Well, that pressure continued to climb through the end of the spring. Uh, we, it, the conversation became much more about accreditation. Uh, and so we met with the, uh, our executive committee met face-to-face, -face, the executive committee of, of COE, um, who, for those of you who are on the call, um, who don't know, or I'm sorry, on the podcast, who don't understand about accreditation and what its background is, KHIP is the parent organization 
Um, they sit at the top and COE works under, uh, under KHEP and COE does the accrediting for paramedic programs. Uh, currently and, and even through today, uh, states make decisions about, about uh, approval of programs for EMR, EMT, and AEMT. It's the paramedic level only that requires an accrediting body to be able to sit for our examination and then wear the proud honor of being nationally certified. So uh, we met with the COA board. We had some conversations about the challenges with accreditation and our challenges that we were having because, you know, the two organizations are tightly aligned. So um, as we left that meeting in the beginning of May, we knew that we would need to do more fact-finding. We need to ask more questions. And the plan was is to take it through the summer and into the fall and have more collaborative conversations with, with our partner organizations. That's the way the National Registry has operated since I've been on the board. And that's, that's a good path forward, right? Collaboration and, and discussion is very important, especially when we're going to make a decision that can impact the entire nation. Well, Fast forward a couple of weeks into the beginning of June, and legislation had successfully passed in at least one state. Uh, and there, the important thing about this is there was also money, real money, behind it to remove the requirement for national certification. And that stepped up the conversation to a very feverish pace. And in our, in our boardroom in June, in the second week of June, we had a two-day conversation, which is also very rare for our board. We have a lot of decisions to make. We talked about this one topic for two days, uh, which took up 90% of our board meeting that we had slated. And we came and we felt like the, the pace was, was too rapid and we didn't have the luxury to wait to have the collaborative conversations, which we normally would have, that we needed to act. And, and, and in our opinion, uh, the action would uh, in what the resolution was designed to do was to put a stopgap measure uh, for a state to use that would ensure the safety of the citizens that they serve. Because if you sit for a non-validated, non-scientifically backed examination, you really don't know what you're getting when you call 911. You get a paramedic that took an examination that may or may not have been scientifically validated and is not reliable and scientifically defensible. So that's our role. That's, that's our wheelhouse. That's what we do. Uh, so we felt that this resolution would provide a stopgap measure for those states in a kind of an emergency state, really. Uh, it, was, it was needed to be decided now. But um, we also knew that we have a 60-day public comment period. That is what that 60-day public comment is for, is to, for us to listen to our, our stakeholders and the folks that we work with and alongside for the betterment of EMS in our, in our country. And, that's, and we were dependent on that 60-day period for them to voice to us, how does this create challenges? Who supports it? Who doesn't support it? And uh, the messages came through loud and clear. So that's a very long answer to a very short question. Um, but that tells the nation how we got there why did the National Registry not do their normal collaborative process? What was the emergency that we weren't seeing? And, and I get it. If you're not in that boardroom, it looks like we act really haphazard and totally irresponsible. But I hope after hearing that explanation, 
they understand that we're actually acting on behalf of those EMS providers. Kevin, thank you so much for that, because that really does give us the insight, gives us the background and helps us to understand, you know, what was going what was going through your heads and your thought process in that two day conversation. And uh, we've all been on boards and to have a ha- have a two hour conversation is a challenge to have a two day one is absolutely admirable. But let me take you back 60 days. So you've had the conversation, you've created the resolution, you know, the comment period is coming ahead. And you got, I think Bill said at the start, over a thousand um, responses and social media lit up. What have been those sort of major learning points from both the official letters? And dare I ask, you know, everyone on social media has got an opinion, whether they have an opinion or not. But what, uh, what did you take away? Well, I think the loud and clear message was the value that our, our country and our EMS community places on accreditation. Uh, and on a standard for a person that graduates from a paramedic program. Um, that is probably the loudest message that came through, is, is it that the, the, big, the big aha moment was accreditation is important. Our country feels that way. Now, as is, is Bill pointed out, there was a thousand comments. It was not unanimous. Uh, however, the interesting and most telling thing is that save for one national organization, all other national organizations were entirely against this. Uh, they said that this is not this is not safe and this is not the right direction for EMS for the future. Really reflecting back on you know the major documents that we all talk about about the EMS agenda for the future, the systems approach, talking about the scope of practice model, uh, the education standards, all of those discussing and pointing to the fact that we need national certification and we need accreditation. And uh, I spent some time reviewing all of those national associations' comments, as I say, and also sort of digging into social media. And, you know, I, I totally agree. And I think one of the things about accreditation is the portability of having that accreditation. You know, obviously, you know, both you and Maya have taken many, many boards, and I shudder to think what you paid to do those things, but that makes you portable. Without our accreditation, arguably, I think what everyone's saying is, that uh, you know whether you have any other compact or any other agreement, you, you you ain't going to be able to move anywhere. And of course, that's a key factor. I think in what I certainly read, the national associations were getting at. Absolutely. I think that one thing it's is that it's important to mention here in terms of the drama of the last sixty ninety days is that you sort of predicted it. You knew it was coming. If you spent two days talking about this, you knew the gravity of the situation. And while no one wants to be bombarded by angry citizens, um, you also probably appreciate that people were passionate and uh, really emotional and felt maybe that this was an attack on their own profession or their own, uh, you know, education self. And I I think that's a, um, I think that's something that Kevin, you explained beautifully by describing the process that you went through. I am curious, as Maya started her stint on the on the board right around this time, what was it like uh, kind of watching that whole process and especially what happened after? I have to say, I think um, while people have a lot of passion about this issue, I was continually impressed by the way that it was moderated in a way that all voices were heard. Um, and consensus was worked out. Um, And as I said, you know, I I came out of there and I got lots of texts from people who, you know, forgot I was on the board um, saying things about 
what it must, you know, what those board members must, you know, be thinking, et cetera. And, you know, I don't remind people like I'm actually on the board, right? That the board is really a, a truly uh, incredible group of really talented people who have a lot of different perspectives on EMS education. And, you know, I, I have to say, uh, Kevin and Bill endured a lot um, in the days after this uh, came out and the feedback that they got. Um, but as somebody who has right spent my life on EMS education, in the end, I think I could actually find a lot of positive because I don't think anybody has spent this much time talking about EMS education. And really, what does EMS education mean to the future of EMS? Right? We talk about things like pay and workforce conditions and all these different components. Um, but we don't spend that much time actually talking about EMS education. It's something that we sort of took for granted that these systems are in place. Um, and those of us who spend our time in the EMS education space know that there's actually not a lot that we can take for granted um, within the EMS education space. And we're constantly thinking about how do we set up systems to assure competency that protect the public um, and also encourage people to be right lifelong people in EMS, right? It's part of, we're the input, to, we're not the cause of the workforce shortage. We make lots of paramedics, but we're the input and how do we get people to be part of that workforce? So it was, you know, it was hard to be on one end of the, of the conversation, but at the same time, it made people demonstrate that they care. I think that there was a lot of a silent majority um, that could not stay silent. And, you know, I, I talk about Ginger Locke and feedback a lot. And she says that, you know, when somebody takes the time to give you feedback, it's a way that they show you that they value you, right? And if we take one big thing, right? People show that they value what the National Registry thinks and what it brings to EMS and a national standard and that there is a national voice on this. For all the state-specific issues, there is a national voice. Um, and people took the time to very deliberately make their voices heard on this on either side of the issue. And I don't think that we can waste this moment. Wise words, Maya. And uh, don't forget, uh, if you're listening to us, please follow us on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Amazon Music, Podbean, Stitcher and Spotify. And if you're enjoying the show, please take a moment to rate us on the platform that you're listening on. In the meantime, let's just go for a quick word from our sponsor, EMS Gives Life. Hello, I'm Christine Fichter, the Executive Director of EMS Gives Life. At EMS Gives Life, our mission is simple. We educate the EMS first responder community on how to become a living organ or bone marrow donor and then provide support if you choose to give this gift of life. Our organization was inspired by pro-EMS paramedic Will Lindbergh's selfless decision to anonymously donate a portion of his liver saving the life of a three-year-old boy. We know our community is full of heroes who perform life-saving acts every day. It is this heroism and selflessness that we're counting on. More than 6,000 people die each year on the transplant waiting list. Deceased donors are simply not enough. Living organ donors are desperately needed and our community is up for the challenge. Would you consider being a living donor if you had the support you needed and the assurance that you will go to the top of the list if you ever needed a transplant in the future? Through our partnerships, we can make those promises. If you're curious about living organ or bone marrow donation, let's talk. And if you're already a living donor, we'd love to hear your story. You can find us at emsgiveslife.org. Thank you. Christine, thank you very much. EMS Gives Life. Uh, don't forget to follow them on all your social media channels. Uh, we're back here with the National Registry with uh, Kevin Mackey, Maya Dorsett and Bill Seafarth and, of course, uh, my partner in crime, Hillary Gates. Bill, of course, the next 
big question is you've had the comments, uh, you've got to do something now, okay? And so what happens next? So yeah, the uh, the, the great conversation has, has started. <clears throat> and uh, as was indicated earlier, uh, this has brought a lot of emotion, but it's also brought a lot of uh, unified voice. Uh, and uh, one of the next steps that we're going to, that actually already has taken place, it was earlier this week prior to our board meeting, is the convening of uh, the 10 bigger, uh, larger organizations across the EMS profession that, that have a uh, intersection or um, interest as it relates to EMS education from a national level getting together. And those 10 organizations met actually on Monday of this week on the 15th of, of August, and uh, it was led by Kevin, but we were able to, to chat with them and uh, to see if they had any last minute input or last minute feedback as it relates to this resolution that subsequently, subsequently was rescinded by our board. But furthermore, we said, okay, now what? And that's where the conversation is going to continue. And we're going to continue to work uh, with this group to certainly address some of the comments we received as it relates to accreditation requirements, um, certainly to address some improvements that are necessary, not only with accreditation, but with certification, us at the National Registry. And then the broader EMS educational issues that we know um, we are facing across the country that individually organizations are challenged to address, but collectively that synergy that uh, potential synergistic effect that we can have to, to improve some of these challenges are what this group is going to, uh, going to be tackling and working on. Uh, so we're very excited about that to truly be collaborative and to open up the doors to new opportunities for future collaboration as we tackle all the, all the many, many issues facing EMS education at a national level. Bill, thanks. I just have to butt in here and say that I spend a major part of my week dealing with state and federal legislation. And if all the folk out there were as passionate about responding in, in terms of campaigns and putting their voice and their thoughts on paper, on social media, in response letters, we'd be a lot farther forward. And so medics, if you're listening, next time we ask you to take part in a legislative campaign, and boy, we're in the middle of that right now, please do with the same level of fervor and passion as you've done towards this. Um, Hillary. I want to get into the nitty gritty just a little bit. It's kind of going back to the the um, beef of this uh, debate and the and the comments that you got. And that is, if I'm a student in a classroom or an educator, uh, the, that's mainly our audience here on the EMS Educator Podcast, what do I see in terms of accreditation? How does it affect me? What does accreditation give me as a student and what does accreditation give me as an educator? Um, Bill, can you can you take that? Sure. So uh, an accreditation, accreditation, if you talk to George or anyone from, from CoEMSP, uh, they'll say that their mission is duly to protect the public, but also to protect the student. And how they do that is uh, ensuring that the processes are in place, uh, that there are uh, structures and uh, resources in place. By resources, I mean physical resources, financial resources, human resources, to ensure that quality, to ensure that education will be able to be um, delivered and offered uh, so that. Um, it will sufficiently prepare the student to function in whatever capacity they're going to be functioning. So it is uh, ultimately the goal of accreditation to protect the student. Uh, contrast that with our role, 
uh, as a national certification organization, we independently assess the graduates from those programs uh, to ensure that they are competent. So our mission is to protect the public. Uh, so there's a slight difference certainly between our role and the, uh, the role of accreditation. And um, uh, accreditation in and of itself is a little bit broader with a greater focus on the students. And Maya, as a medical director for not only Prodigy EMS, but also for a community college uh, paramedic training program, and Kevin as a medical director, this is a really important part of your job. I think a lot of folks uh, in EMS think of medical directors as the doc and the, and the clinical guy or gal and the person who helps us with new protocols and that kind of thing. But really at the heart of your profession and, and um, the way that you shape new providers and clinicians is through education. Maya, what's that like for you? The one thing I'm going to add here as a disclosure is I also do site visits for COAMSB. So I actually started as a, a site visitor for COA. Um, so yeah, so third hat. Um, from the perspective of a, of a medical director, actually one of the things that I've learned um, from doing a lot of site visits is that there's not a lot of involved medical directors in initial education. And I think that's something that needs to be changed because I think that's where we establish a lot of those relationships. I think with accreditation or like anything that we do, right, the, the goal always needs to be on what is it that we are trying to accomplish and the goal is that we basically ensure competency of the students entering uh, the workforce in ways that may be actually unmeasured by a single exam, right? Like an exam is not going to measure every single component um, in a 360 way of the student. Accreditation sort of measures, you know, when we set out that we say students accomplish those things, are we actually holding ourselves accountable for making those students accomplish them? Um, what those minimum standards are. And accreditation also requires things like engagement from your community, from your employers, from your medical director, from members of your public. And so I think that one of the things um, that's difficult, though, is that on the surface, people sometimes perceive accreditation as the boxes you need to check so that you can get that title so that your students can take the national registry. And I think as we move forward, one of the things that we have to recognize, right? A, there was a problem here that needs to be solved. And that problem is not, you know, it comes to the state level, but I think the problem is an individual program director who may also be the lead instructor, who may be doing the work of a clinical coordinator, who is trying to do all these things pulled in all these different directions to really support students. And there are an incredible number of really passionate educators who are in this role how do we make it so that accreditation is a process that helps them get what they need for their students um, and sort of negotiate for those things and ensures that they're getting feedback into a process that they can improve? I think, I think the big thing is when we move forward, right, we have to make sure that we fix the problem that sort of made this come to light, um, whether or not it be with our processes, whether or not it be with the current accreditation process. There are those of us, right, who have found how to navigate this process, who know how to bring value to our individual education system to help us accomplish what we need. Um, and I think we have to sort of go through and say, like, how do we make it easier, right, for people to do the right thing? That's like fundamental <laughs> systems um, approach, um, regardless of whether or not it's 
initial education, accreditation, certification, et cetera, right? We have to make it so that it's easier for people to sort of follow pathways um, that are good for patient care and the public and students and providers. Um, and I think the the only failure with what happened would be if we don't take this as um, sort of a an opportunity when people are passionate and engaged to sort of move things in a in a direction to accomplish that. And Kevin, you had a few comments about accreditation as a medical director yourself. I, I do, um, and really, it goes. It, this is a message to just not only the educators but also the employers out there. Uh, because we've been talking a lot on this podcast about minimum entry level competency and things like that, but we've thrown the word competency around a lot. And I think that employers equate competency to, I'm going to throw you the keys to the ambulance and go out and run a bunch of calls. Uh, and, and there's nothing that could be further from the truth. When a person graduates from a paramedic program, as the, ed- as the educators know, and then they, they take our examination and they pass our examination, now they're nationally certified, there's still work to be done to actually introduce that person to the role of EMS, uh, that you can't just throw that person in an ambulance with a less experienced DMT and say, good luck, because the product that you get may not be what you'd hope for. So that's kind of just, it's reminding the national audience that listen to this, that competency does mean that you can, that you pass examination, that you have the knowledge, skills, and abilities to perform the job but there's still work to be done. I think on the workforce issue also, right, that sets people up for failure. Our goal is to get people into an entry-level competency, and then we have to build the systems that support them in the roles that they're going to have subsequently. And so when saying like the expectation is this is what we get and we, we're just going to use it and fix the workforce immediately just by making more, um, that's not how the solution is going to work. I'll follow up Maya's comments a little bit more also. We are, we are, we are, administering record levels of examinations. So it's not like the numbers of people taking the examination that are eligible to enter the workforce are like all of a sudden dropping off. They're like in record numbers, numbers we've ever we've never seen before. So as you've heard fo- uh, other members of our board talk in the past, um, the workforce issue is really probably more of a distribution problem. It's not so much a numbers problem. That's one of my favorite all-time Matt Zavadsky quotes. He always makes it. You know, it's, it's the maldistribution of paramedics, not the shortage. Let's just go, Bill, to an elephant in the room. One of the comments that came along on social media a lot is, yeah, but you lot are just up to make money. Any 501c3, you know, not-for-profit doesn't mean all for free, right? I used to be in a 501c3. But what do you say to that? Well, I think you nailed it. We're a, you know, a not-for-profit 501c3, and the money that we, that we make um, goes right back into – uh, the development of the examinations. You know, as Kevin alluded to earlier, we take pride in the fact that we have a valid, reliable, legally defensible, psychometrically sound examination that we use uh, to measure competency and we use to measure, con- you know, and ensure continued competency. That's expensive to develop. Uh, and uh, so all of, the, all of that money that we do get goes right back into uh, ensuring that our exams are up to date, that they're measuring what they say they're measuring. They go back into the investments, for example, in continued competency, where we're thinking different about how we ensure continued competency throughout the, the EMS practitioner or clinician's career. They go back into um, adopting new and emerging and best practice and technologies as it relates to us doing our mission of protecting the public. So, uh, yes, 
there there is money that comes in. We do make money, and that money goes right back into the service of the EMS community nationally. Uh, through what we do at the National Registry. Thank you for that. And actually, I totally agree with you because I think one of the issues that people fail to realise is a bit like when somebody complains about their ambulance bill and forgets the fact that the cost of readiness is 24 hours, not just the hour that we spend with the patients. So that's the first bit. And, and I'm asking some of these elephant in the room questions now because people will go, ah, oh, Robin Hillary, you had them and you never grilled them. So early on, uh, one of our national organisations put out a resolution to challenge you to be more transparent. Kevin, obviously, that was a fairly uh, big statement. But how have you addressed that? I'm uh, the chair of the governance committee uh, for the organisation that's part of the role of the uh, chair of the, of the, of the board. Uh, and I'm convening a governance meeting in early September to discuss this specific resolution and to look for opportunities for us to increase transparency. I actually already have a couple of ideas um, about uh, bringing the national community into the conversation earlier, even as early as in the actual board meeting. Um, now, we all have representatives, so we have board members that represent organizations that are nominated by organizations, and then we also have liaisons that are invited to all of our meetings. But how can we get even further ahead of decisions that the board is about to make and so that we can get input earlier and they can see what's coming, uh, what's coming down from National Registry earlier and so we can start to work on processes to make things happen that'll be easier for everybody? The ink is still wet on the uh, 60-day press release. I think we've scooped the both of you in getting in on this podcast fairly quickly. I suspect that uh, this will be the first time people hear your voice sort of the morning after the night before, Kevin. So what would you like to say to everybody? I would like to thank uh, the nation's EMS community for, for speaking up, uh, for engaging with us in the 60-day public comment in a respectful way. Uh, that gave us the they gave the board the the background and the feeling and the emotion and the knowledge to make the decision that we needed to make that was for the betterment of the EMS community. We heard you. Uh, we heard you loud. And the great thing that came out of this is a is a national conversation, a national statement, and also which really cool, which Bill had mentioned earlier, we actually we now have a collaborative workforce made of the nation's largest EMS organizations that are fully engaged and are going to begin to work together through not just this issue, but many more. Like we can stand this body up at any moment and tackle a national issue together. Excellent. I'm going to channel my inner Churchill now because you just prompted me, no, this isn't the beginning of the end. This is the end of the beginning. As we carry on, Bill, how can we get in touch with uh, you guys professionally? And obviously, any more comments or observations that people want to make? How can they make those? Well, certainly, uh, you know, we don't have just a 60-day comment period and where our doors are closed and we don't want to hear from the public anymore. Uh, Contraire, uh, we have uh, accessibility through our website, nremt.org. Uh, folks can call, uh, can go to the website and certainly can uh, reach us through, um, through our website and also uh, follow us on uh, our various social media channels. Uh, we'd love to have people interact with us through there as well. So our doors are always open and uh, we're grateful for uh, certainly the active and passionate um, response that uh, the national EMS community gave, but we want to continue that level of engagement going forward. So. 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, it's, it's a personal thank you from me for being on the podcast, but I'll hand it over to you, Hillary, for the close. You know, we really are privileged to have uh, Kevin and Bill and Maya talking to us today and being transparent, if I may say. I don't want you actually to say that you regretted the disruption as you did in your statement, because I think we need to be disrupted, disrupted much more often. And I want to keep doing things that move the needle and... This uh, forward thinking sparked a conversation that was extraordinarily important and got people talking to each other that might not have talked to each other before. So I think we should continue to keep this great conversation and many others going. So we hope that uh, you come back and talk to us again uh, as the conversation continues. Kevin Mackey, Maya Dorset. Bill Seafarth. Thank you very much. This has been the EMS Educator Podcast. She's been Hillary Gates. I've been Rob Lawrence. And until next time, bye for now.